Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. So here we are, uh, I am waiting with bated breath in my little office at my desk, waiting for Jay, aka Beans on Toast, one of the most colourful, charismatic fellows on the uh, UK festival scene, and just in music generally, he's you know he's worked with everyone from Mumford and Sons through to just kind of releasing 10 or 11 of his own solo albums, he's just done his own book, Drunk Folk Stories, um, he's a funny guy and he has been through it all, seen it, done it and yes, got the medals and the trophy to show. So yeah, here we go. Let's have the aid set of festivals with Beans on Toast. And I should add actually, sorry, um, Jay wanted me to tell you, uh, if you're going to Glastonbury, then do make sure you check out Beans on Toast 2pm on Saturday on the Avalon stage. Um, so, yeah, you will hear a bit more about Glastonbury in the podcast, but 2pm uh, Saturday, Avalon, Beans on Toast. Yes, 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 here we are again in the podcast studio of joy. And um, a couple of weeks ago, this uh, brown envelope dropped through the uh, bank post box, and I thought, that's a, that's a fat wad of something. Um, sadly, it was a book. But um, happily, it was a book by Beans on Toast. It's called Drunk Folk Stories, and it kind of made me think, wow, Beans, yes, Jay, the man who has played numerous of my festivals and pretty much every festival probably in the UK and the world and we'd get him in so welcome Beans on Toast. Thank you very much. I think we should give credit where credit's due as well for Dan amongst the pigeons because it was him on Twitter and it was like why don't you get Beans on? And I was there like yeah go. yeah why not? That and then is... I sent you the book. My mum sent it to you actually. <laughs> Did she? My mum sent out my book. So. Okay. Yeah. It came in an unmarked uh, car so I didn't didn't recognise it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's cool. Yeah, no, big up to uh, p- big up to Dan for for kind of pushing you forward. Obviously, you were on the hit list already. I, well, I'm glad, and I've, I've been listening and really enjoying the podcast. So it's a it's an honour to be here. Okay, you sat there last night and listened to five seconds of one. <laughs> I've got the tune down. <laughs> I wrote that tune. Did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, it's good. a lazy boy tune. Okay, so the pride of Braintree, Essex, a child of the '80s, the meandering minstrel. It is beans on toast. We're going to kick off with a little. Uh, true or false if mm-hmm. that's okay with you um, just to get the listeners acquainted and uh, you warmed up um, not that you need it um, I was going to say true or false and then this isn't even a true or false but how many minutes should you warm beans up for two to three minutes three to four minutes or five to six minutes God, I have no idea I don't actually eat there, there is an official you don't you don't like beans not really no oh, God right. Right, interview suspended yeah <laughs> I'm more a spaghetti 
that oh, yeah. it just didn't have the same ring to it. Even with a newborn, you're not sort of thinking um, cheesy beans, beans on toast. Yeah, like. she eats them, but yeah. I, I, I don't know. I'm sure it says on the packet how, long, how much you're supposed to warm them up okay. for. Three to four minutes. Just, okay. Just so you're I, if this is a, if this is a cookery podcast, I'm in trouble. <laughs> yes, it's a new table manager, Jesse Ware. Welcome along. <laughs> um, so, uh, true or false? You release a new album on the first of December each year. True. Which this year will be my 11th album. And do you only release albums on your birthday? Uh, I only have, yeah. It's just something that... Well, there was no massive plan to it, but it's just something that happened. Um, after the, the second... The first album was a, was ready by around my birthday. The next year there was another one ready about the same time. It was like, just put it out again. By the third year it was a, it was a thing. <laughs> and it also feels like... It, it's sort of like... Now it feels like my natural sort of output. Feels like you know, it, I can quite relax and write an album a year, and it also means that I can just you know plan my years ahead, and I get to play the same festivals year in year out, which not a lot of acts get to do. And I think one of the sort of like reasons for that is that well, there's definitely more new material there. You know, there's a whole new album out each each year, so it just keeps me constantly gigging, constantly writing, and uh, and constantly playing festivals, basically, which is what I love doing. So. Yeah, and you haven't got a record label breathing down your neck going, it's March, it's March and it's due out in April and, you know, you know you've got till December to... Yeah, exactly. I, I know, I generally record it like around September and uh, and that gives me enough time to, of before September to write it, enough time post-September to do what you need to do to actually to get it out. And But, you know, if an album wasn't ready or, you know, I didn't feel like it, I wouldn't do it. You know, I've not really promised it to anybody. It's never been a... I never want to see it as a chore. It just always no. feels like the you know the right thing to do. But you have managed to do it for ten years running. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and long <laughs> may it continue. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a digital world now, obviously, so you can put music out on any day. But what 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 in the past, if it's been a Sunday, what happens? Well, I think it's just it's out when you say it's out, isn't it? If you put a poster up, it says it's out first of December. Yeah, it's out when I it's on the racks of our price. Or well, what? yeah. I mean, then it would obviously go in whenever, like Monday, or then move to uh, what is it? Moved moved to Friday now, hasn't it? Okay. But so you don't like beans on toast. You probably lied about when you're putting your albums out. Yes, yeah, not, not too well, yeah. <laughs> Come on, mate. Right, okay. Uh, true or false? Despite your track uh, called "Can't Get a Gig at Glastonbury," you've opened the Glastonbury Festival every year since 2005. False. Fake news. <laughs> Wikipedia is is incorrect information on my Wikipedia, which says that I opened Glastonbury every year. Um, I know where it came from. And I wish that I could change it. If anybody out there knows how to adapt Wikipedia, please do. Um, Isn't that the whole point of Wikipedia? Well, yeah, I think you need... I don't know. Also, I don't want to be the one that writes my own Wikipedia page. Surely it's, you know, it's written by the people, isn't it? But I think what happened is years ago, I had like a pretty awful gig at Glastonbury where it was like 11am on Wednesday at like some tiny little tent. And... uh, it wasn't awful, you know, it was still a gig, but ultimately it was like, and then when I saw the full lineup, I was actually the first act playing. So I just span it and was like, I'm opening Glastonbury. And it kind of got, you know, people was like, oh, wow, being the taste, opening Glastonbury. Yeah, yeah. You know, again, it's sometimes it's just what you say, isn't it? And that, I don't know, I guess that got a bit of press coverage. And somehow between that and the fact that I do play Glastonbury every year, somewhere on Wikipedia it is now says 
that I opened that's where we are and I don't even know what that means <laughs> how you would go about like I'm cutting the ribbon I mean I'm always there yeah, quite yeah, early yeah. Oh, exactly. cool, yeah, Lee. how you doing it's open you could sit in the car park on, on Tuesday night and just strum your guitar three times and say there there's, you go there's an element the there's festival. an element of truth to that <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, are you normally there on a Wednesday uh, I'd say, yeah generally I mean cause I like last few, last few years from if you're playing you have to get in early if you want to get your van in which, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm mad keen on that. So uh, yeah, I'll generally be, especially the years like this year when there's been a year off. Yeah, I'd probably go Super tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Probably go tomorrow. If <laughs> um, so yeah, I'll definitely be there early this year. Okay, we'll we'll definitely be uh, recapping on Glasgow in a minute. And apologies to anyone who gets bored of me talking about Glastonbury, but it's the greatest show on earth, and it's close as well. If ever it is time close. To be excited, yeah, right. three. Three weeks or something. Okay, um, true or false, you've gotten some right pickles at festivals over the years. Enjoyable pickles. <laughs> Fun pickles, but yeah, I guess. 100% true? 100% true. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, true or false, Essex is not what people think it is. That is definitely true. I think the, um, especially the further afield that you travel, people will, will believe that Essex is uh, like what they see on TV, which is, you know... Strange that anybody believes anything they see on TV, especially reality TV shows. But uh, it's, it's it's a huge county, Essex, and yes, yeah, I've certainly didn't growing up and didn't see anything like you'd like the TV show would have you believe. But I guess you know life imitates art to a certain extent. So now it's strange that you take probably sort of like. The sort of I want to, I've not seen enough of the TV show, but I would imagine, but probably the sort of like the worst of society and put them on a pedestal and celebrate that. But um, even before that TV show, I mean, you know, Harry Enfield or like, I, I don't know if he was just a cop. I think, or well, I think, is, I think Essex has got personality, you know, which yeah. uh, so I, I think it's good to be from somewhere that has a personality because this is remembered, you know, I used all the horrible Essex girl jokes and all that, but it was like. I don't know, you don't get, I don't know whether Buckinghamshire has a sort of, you know, sort of jokes made, but I'd rather be, I'd rather be sort of like, have a joke made about me than be sort of widely ignored. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're wearing today a Bobby's Oysters um, t-shirt. Yes. Um, it actually says East Anglia. East but, Anglia, um, yeah, yeah. But well. Bo Bobby, our mutual friend who is the purveyor of the finest shucked oysters. Exactly. Bobby Banjo, we played together, music together for, for many years. I still do. Is he, is he your manager or was he your manager? At no, point? banjo player. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We just, uh, we travelled together. We was quite a sort of... Um, uh, we we toured the world basically because we're just a unit, just the two of us. You know, we don't really need any looking after. So we never travelled with tour managers or, or you know, never had a manager or anything like that. Just the two of us in a car. You know, keep it cheap and uh, yeah, you know, keep Ban going. Banjos and oysters. Yeah, it's banjos. A good, it's a good band. Yeah, you're hero. Yeah. Okay, and uh, last true or false? The first song you wrote was called Fish. That is true. Yeah, that's in my book. Yeah, it, it is. It is in your book. Not that I've done my research or something. <laughs> okay, cool. So we're here to talk about um, festivals, obviously, but we're going to talk about anything. And you know, off off air before Jay said, "Is there, you know, is there anything that we can't talk about?" And absolutely, you know, it's open season here in the Debank uh, podcast studio. So, man, you you go for it. Anything is 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 allowed. Um, so, festivals are the best thing since sliced bread. Discuss. Um, I, mean, I can't remember a time before sliced bread, um, so I can't imagine what uh, um, sort of change in the world that made. But uh, I think festivals were the best thing before sliced bread as well. There was definitely people were gathering on mass, you know, and dancing around campfires and kind of getting intoxicated long before 
bread. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, our our mutual friend, Mr. Tofu, touched on that um, last week or the week before and said, um, you know, he talked about the the kind of pagan side of it and the ritualistic side of it. It probably predates language, doesn't it? You know, I think when we was turning into whatever, you know, however the human race came to be the sort of complicated species that we are, I reckon it started off with... You know, drums and fires and, and, and dancing and, you know, festivals is, uh, uh, still have that feeling too. I think there's still something really primal about festivals, even the kind of, you know, the big sort of like all singing, all dancing, sort of like with the sound systems and the lights. There's still something ultimately primal about people getting together and kind of, you know, just losing their shit a little bit. And I think that's what a lot of the, the draw is as well. Maybe maybe it was just a way of cavemen keeping warm, and they were sort of like jumping up and down, hugging themselves. Yeah, like, and that's left in our DNA somehow. So we kind of do it. We don't know why we, why it makes so so much sense now, but you know, it was just yeah, one caveman. The caveman that survived was the, the sort of dancing warm caveman, something like yeah, that. Yeah, we're his bearded descendants. Exactly. Well, not so much bearded for me. So, um, what what was your first festival that you you went to? Glastonbury. Yeah. Um, actually, what I, I later picked at a V Festival before I ever went to a festival after the festival had finished, and uh, it was a horror show. <laughs> I like the way you, you the fact you admit to that. It's not just not just keeping it cool like the kids who say their first ever record was by the Clash. It's like yeah, I later picked it. Yeah, it was. I mean, I didn't really know what a festival was, and I just went and saw it. It wasn't even during the festival. It was like you know, cheap sort of cash in hand work at V, uh, you know, in, in Chelmsford, which is near where I grew up. You didn't even so, get to see Kasabian. Or, it was uh, no, it was it was like pulp stuff. and stuff like that. So I knew I kind of. When I got there, I was like, what is this? And I was like, saw the walk through the car park and was like picking up a few crisp packets. I was like, this is right. And then turned around to me in front of the main stage and it was like, yeah, like a horror show, this mess. And I was just like, who the hell has made this mess? And, you know, next time I'll, I want to be here when they're making it, you know, rather than <laughs> just clearing up afterwards. And it wasn't, but I still, I don't think I left that being like, I left that with almost a kind of not very nice feeling about festivals, but then in turn went to Glastonbury. And, Did you uh, find anything exciting in the rubbish? No, I think it was one of the things where I was like, instantly, I was, when I saw the rubbish, one thing I thought was like, I'm going to find those stuff. You know, I'm going to find some drugs and money. And I think I found like 40p. <laughs> and my mate who was with us found 20 quid. And that was it. And it was like... Disappointing. Well, yeah, right. I mean, the whole, I actually, I couldn't stand it. It ended up, that litter pick, and ended up behind, I guess what had been like a stall selling curry. Then that had like full like metal bins of old curry that had fallen over and those people uh, kids were basically like wading in it oh. picking up handfuls and putting handfuls of curry into black bin lines and I was oh, like God. I'm out of here guys <laughs> can I just cash out um, but yeah but I don't know yeah that I, I sort of wrote that off I kind of came back to that memory long after I'd my love affair with festivals had, had begun my first festival was Glastonbury okay. in 97 I was 16 years old and I went by myself, ultimately. I got a ride down with an older kid. Um, that probably didn't want me to hang out with him once, once we got there. And I went a week early, <laughs> even then. Was, was, that was just because that was when the ride was going. And uh, I lost my... T- we camped in Glastonbury Town before we went to the, yeah. to the festival. And I, lost, I spent all my money, lost my tent, and then went to the festival. And was that pre-Big Fence or was that a run? It was, it, it was way pre-Big Fence, yeah. yeah. And, but it was, I'd, I'd bought, it was the, in fact, that was the only ticket to Glastonbury that I have ever bought was that first one. And I, uh, I bought it off a girl who lived down the end of the road. And uh, I walked in accidentally without showing it to anybody. 
and uh, and then I, I wish you hadn't bought it. Well, then I turned around, I got a stamp on my hand, and went out and uh, sold it to a ticket tout. Not that, and I've changed a lot of my views over the years. <laughs> here we go. Not that here I we believe go. the ticket tout is a good thing. to Michael Evis. Yeah. <laughs> well, this was '97. I mean, after yeah. that, you know, year, for the next three or four years, I basically went back and told my mates it's free. You know, and we, you know, we just went for free up until the fence did go up, and then I started working. Glastonbury, you know, still, I'd fell in love with it so much that once the fence was up, it was just like, well, you know, how else, how else do we go? And where there's a will, there's a way. Absolutely. Okay, well, we'll come back to um, Glastonbury, like, like I keep saying, but because um, <laughs> I'm interested in what you were talking about before. You, so your first experience was was um, litter picking at V, and you know, litter is obviously a hot topic um, for for a lot of the right reasons, and you know, well, every every reason is is right on it. And I, I was just listening to your track this morning um bamboo toothbrush which is you know all about um plastic pollution right yeah plastic pollution eight million tons of plastic going in the sea you know you're writing with ink from a plastic pen you're gonna you know replace that with a pencil you're gonna brush your teeth with a bamboo toothbrush yeah. um i love that what's the lyric about bananas with a disposable coat uh well it's i can't remember that was the actual line it's about you know shrink wrapping bananas in plastic which is crazy you know i've seen a polystyrene packet with banana and then uh like cling film over the top and it's like this is literally a fruit designed you know by nature with a just you know completely biodegradable packet it's yeah. like it's the one thing it doesn't need is plastic and polystyrene <laughs> packaging and it's amazing that i mean you know these are everywhere around the world it's like some how can someone not just put their hand up and go this is a silly idea you know like we can Bananas are an ingenious invention. It's crazy that people can mess it up that much. Although I have been corrected, I think, by my son, who, um, when I've not, I've not necessarily been trying to throw a banana skin out the window, but he said, oh, Dad, you know, it's 25 years to... Uh, is it, it's some crazy amount, isn't it, for a banana skin to... Um, yeah, I don't think we should, you know, leave them on other people's front doorsteps. Or whatever, but I, in the, they're not ultimately going to do any harm. covering my tracks here. Yeah. Just so when people... <laughs> yeah, 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 you shouldn't yeah. tell people to uh, throw away their <laughs> bananas. Throw, yeah. Please don't throw, I mean, you know, still dispose of it correctly. But, <laughs> but I think it's just not going to stay around forever, basically. But I think the, I think the problem with um, litter at festivals and, you know, and the sort of plastic waste and the whole conversation about people taking tents home and stuff like that is, you know, a huge problem that needs to be discussed by festivals. But it's, it's basically just mirroring the larger problems that happen in the world. And I think a lot of festivals can be a kind of micro, microcosm of life can't they you know you basically create this world and that sometimes it's easier to fix problems in a smaller world that you can then take onto a, a larger perspective and so it's great that festivals are kind of waking up to it at the same time the world is, is waking up to it but it's um there's still a long way to go basically you know people still people still drop rubbish in the streets that they i mean they live you know people and and they do that at festivals and they, they do it at home and uh <laughs> this is Rob DeBank's A to Z of Festivals. Subscribe now and please remember to rate. So yeah, we were just on um, on litter and shit like that. So so you just ended at a nice place. So yeah, I mean, it seems like um, yeah, obviously all, all the festival promoters are trying to trying to do their bit. Mm-hmm. Festival goers, 
you know, obviously, you know, it's, the onus is on them as well. To, Definitely, to not drop yeah. this stuff in the first place. We need to clear it up. But. And I think there's if it, there's look there's sort of different levels of litter picking, isn't there? There's uh, clearing up after yourself, and there's also that kind of uh, telling other people to clear up after themselves. That kind of like, oh mate, you just dropped this, and like, oh, I didn't actually, yeah, it was empty. It's like, well, don't leave it here. And then there's the third level, which is actually just picking up other people's rubbish. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I used to get in trouble every year at the early festivals. I was when people weed in the hedges or against a fence, and I'd just take such sort of umbrage with it. Probably because it was our festival, but um, but also, um, you know, I just, I just, it really sort of annoyed me. So yeah, people dropping litter or having a wee, and I, and eventually, I was just told, don't, don't keep doing that, Robbie, because you're just going to get punched in the face. Because I, I just <laughs> or pissed on, yeah, or pissed on, or both at the same time, but. Um, which is some people pay for, but okay. So uh, we've done first festival. We've done uh, messy festivals. What's your what's your kind of worst festival experience? And I mean, yeah, we're talking about drunk folk stories by the man himself, Beans on Toast, and there are some quite good ones in here. I was I was racking my brains for festival stories actually, and there's one which I mean I had a great time. Uh, hold on, we just said worst festival. But, well, stories. I had a great <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a great time, but uh, it probably it it. Uh, Telling the story probably doesn't paint me in the nicest of lights, um, but um, I'll share it with you anyway. So, it and was, then I'll edit it out if I don't like it. If you don't like it, yeah. <laughs> it was um, it was a year. It would have must have been around 2009, 2010. It was the year that Mumford were playing quite like they was on their uh, sort of their rise basically. And I was working I was, uh, at a pub in Kentish Town at the time. I was, I was supposed to be the manager of this bar. We'd sort of launched it and. Things were going okay. But anyway, I wasn't going to go to festival, And I definitely not. Yeah, not, not going to go, not going to go. Friday night, ended up doing an all-nighter with this girl that um, worked behind the bar. And then come the morning, I was like, come on, let's just go. Let's just start it. Let's just get a train and go to festival." And I tapped up the Mumford boys, see if they'd be able to get us in, uh, which they said, yeah, come down. And then somehow, so it was a bit of a bit of a bendy morning, should we say, but we got on the train, me and this girl, and in the midst, she was like, I don't really have any money. And I was like, look, don't worry, we'll just get, it's best not to take anything. We won't take a tent. We'll do it how, you know, this is how we roll at festivals. Somehow, I think I even said, what money have you got? We'll put it both, we'll put it in the pot and then we'll just share everything. And so, and then her phone ran out of battery and we went down to, uh, to festival, got in, saw saw one of Mumford's management lot. They got us in, and uh, I think we'd been there like ten minutes, and I lost this girl. And uh, I realised then that you know she hadn't slept, she didn't have any money or a phone or a tent or any means of getting back or anything. And uh, you know I looked and I looked and I looked, but at the end of the, and I was like, we've got to stop looking and and, <laughs> and start. Fine. I was also pretty blitzed myself and. Uh, she probably had the best weekend of her life. If you're out, no, there. it didn't work like that. Oh, well, right. I did. I actually. Oh, that did was, you see her afterwards? No, I saw. I got a Facebook message from her. It gets worse. So she was just like, uh, she said she. I think she woke up um, uh, in like the, the 
not the hospital, but the, yeah. the sort of medic Crash tent area. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. and uh, she didn't really like, and I had to explain that she had no means of getting back. Blah blah. And I think a friend had to drive down and pick her up. And then what? One, I'd also said that she'd be fine. She didn't have to work the next day at the pub, and I didn't tell the other manager that. So when she got back, she got she got fired oh, from the no. pub. And I, you know, I we've made we've made peace. But and I, Are I you did still look, friends? Yeah, yeah. Wow. I'd seen her. For a long time, probably, what, probably since that day. Like? I'm not going to say names for, uh, <laughs> uh, but that that was. I was also so that was probably you know as much. I was so not with it that day that I'd somehow thought that. Uh, so Mumford were about to do their big, uh, big best yeah, of yeah, yeah, show, yeah. and uh, and I was like, I said to Mark, I was like, maybe I could just get up and do do a couple of tunes during the gig and he was like obviously laughed it off like yeah great idea and I was like I took that as a go really? so I had my guitar and I was like tuned up side I, was, of stage. I was literally at the side of the stage tuned up and the tour manager was like Jay what are you doing and I was like I'm going to go on and do a couple of tunes and he was like what are you talking about? I was like, I'm going to go on and do, do a couple of tunes. And he was like, there's no way in the world that is happening. He was like, look at you, can hardly stand up. And I was like, Marcus said it was right. And he was like, he was joking. He was like, I'm not even going to lay you on the stage and kind of boot me off to the, to the front. And uh, yeah, so um, that's probably not one of my finest hours. Um, but other times, uh, Mumford have stopped their song set and let me do a tune yeah yeah no I mean well let's talk but, about the Mumford connection because it was it was in 2009 yeah that you put out a 50 track double album that's it yeah and that was produced by Ben by Robert Ben yeah yeah from ben, Mumford Ben keyboard player in Mumford and Sons yeah. yeah he did he did that and it was like just um, you know I just knew him from playing gigs with him and, and loved the band like everybody did and uh, um Ben, you know, he was living at his parents' house at the time and he had some recording equipment and I needed to do an album. So I just sort of, he just sort of, it was quite casual. It was just like, I'll do it. We did it in a weekend in his parents' loft. Just 50 tracks, just one one track, one take, bang. Yeah, next, what else you got? Bang. Just did it like that. And, Loads he, of people and he just kind in. of totally spontaneously didn't even know you were going to record? Were you just making them up on the spot? Uh, no, I think I wrote one on the day because I was like, I counted all my songs and I had 49. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'll just write another one and we'll just round it up to 50. And then, you know, Ben just produced my last album as well, A Bird in the Hand, you know, 10 years later where a lot has changed. And he basically snuck us into the church studios in Crouch End, which is Paul Letworth's studio, one of the best studios in the world, basically. And when no one was looking, we recorded the newest album. There, yeah. So. so I was going to say, you know, um, you know, Mumford obviously, you know, started off at, on tiny little folky band and then became, you know, huge stadium. Sure, yeah. Hard hitters and... and in all that time, they they have you know they've run their record label. They kept, kept it real, hundred percent kept, 100% kept it real. Yeah, yeah. And always looked after other bands. They've uh, you know like uh, running their. Own. I've done a lot of their gentlemen of the road festivals as well, which are incredible events. I've done uh, mostly out in the states. I did one in New Jersey where talking to people that from New Jersey just because I had an English accent, they thought that I was like something to do with the festival, even though I was like playing two songs. But people were in tears for it in New Jersey because they were so in love with the event that had come because it had recently been hit by the uh, hurricane and stuff. And it was like, uh, it was in Seaside Heights was the place. And it had, it had had a couple of rough years. And then like Mumford come and brought this sort of like uh, two day event to it. And uh, yeah, the guy that ran the hotel was literally like, thanking me and kind of crying and I was like yeah anytime, just take, taking all the credit yeah <laughs> I did pass it on but <laughs> yeah so I was going to say um, leading on from that you know UK versus US festivals obviously the US market is kind of a bit 
bit newer, I think it's fair to say, despite you know Woodstock and yeah. you know all of that massive early history, and then it's got some incredible you know the big you know the Coachellas and the Bonnaroos and a really good thriving sort of scene coming through. But is it? I mean, you know, for starters in America, you drive in, don't you? And you, you pitch yeah, your tent next exactly to your car. that. Yeah, which is super weird. I've I mean I've not done a huge amount. I did Bonnaroo years ago, um, and and I kind of blagged it basically. I didn't really have a gig. I just kind of like went in on the blag and got a couple. Um, I did Electric Forest, which is in Michigan, and uh, they have a. Um, a nice diverse mix of acts I'd say the positive sides of American festivals have a great diverse mix of acts certainly the the, the, the um, Electric Forest had like the String Cheese incident which I thought were like an old kind of wig out sort of band playing free sets they like every, like for one of them was free hours to, to a bunch of like 18, 19 year olds that then would hang around and watch Bass Nectar which was pretty impressive and uh, it was um a lot cleaner they drop a lot less rubbish in the states that is that is true um, which which is you know as we were just saying but at the same time I still feel a little bit I don't feel at home as I do at you know at a UK festival no um, and it does feel a little bit uh, it feels a little bit like my first festival which you know I'm, I'm maybe I'm old and jaded you know like and why shouldn't everybody have their first festival but um, that's probably a good thing um, but for me, you know, like it's easier when you know I know the guy at the ice cream stand or whatever. I yeah. sort of just adds to the kind of the, the story of my weekend. All right. Well, let's go. Let's just run through a, a few of the festivals that you're you're a regular at, or you have have played at, um, and add in add in your own ones at, at your will. Uh, Boomtown. Boomtown. I had a beautiful relationship with them, where I first played in 2012, and uh, on like a poetry stage before they had any sort of folk music or whatnot, and. Uh, it was like in what was the wandering word, so in the middle of the forest, and uh, it was just a huge turnout. I think it surprised me, surprised everybody, and I think of because it was such a, you know, um, a, a sort of rave. You know, it still is, but very much then it was like much more of a rave, and it was like I think everybody was like wanted to come and hear a G chord and someone sing a little bit, and it just was sort of descended upon it, and it just turned into it was like a, a roadblock in the forest. It was amazing, and it's also you know, I, as much as you can't really dance to my songs, I like to think I sing songs to people that like dancing. So it, something clicked, and it was like this is I really sort of found an, a, a my music found a, a bizarre home in the crowd at Boomtown. And then as Boomtown grew, they kind of had these stages that were, you know, especially for folk music and stuff. And uh, so I do the t- same time slot now. I've been doing Old Minds three o'clock on Sunday, um, which has turned into a kind of um, a thing. You know, again, repetition. A lot of the things I do is just be consistent. For with releasing albums. Three three PM boom town. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And it's like so old minds is done now and I've been moved to town centre this year at Boomtown. But again, you know, very it's it's just such a, a lovely crowd to play to and uh yeah, it's just wicked sort of yeah, and I kind of confirm myself every year on stage just by going, I'll see you next year, same time, same place, Boomtown and uh, Captain's Captain Roll Ro- yeah, yeah, Captain seems Not to let that game. keep on rolling. Yeah. So. Okay, uh endorse it, endorse it. Oh wow, that's going back some years. I used to work for Stromerville, uh, the charity, and we used to do a campfire at Endorse It, Endorse It. It's gone now, um, but yeah, that was a kind of. Uh, I mean, so Endorse It, sum up so, the music. That was like prom like, and Yeah, it's like crusty punks, wasn't it? It was uh, uh, well cidery, you know, and uh, and and then like cross dressing on the Sunday. Um, 
Yeah, it was kind of. Now, hold, on, hold, hold on, you can't just gloss over that cross dressing on the Sunday. Well, it was like, like you know, like a lot of great festivals have the dress up down Sunday. I think like there's the the sort of Somerset cider punks aren't really willing to put much work into that, but they could all get their hands on like a dress. So they'd uh, all just. I, I don't. There wasn't much. It didn't go both ways really. The cross dressing. It was mainly just like <laughs> mainly big hairy dudes yeah, yeah. in in like tight fitting dresses. Do you think it was Dorset, not Somerset? Endorse it. Oh yeah, Endorse but it. it was definitely Somerset side of punk <laughs> yeah, as, right. a genre, okay. as a genre. As a genre, it's a county. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. uh, why? Why not festival? Yeah, another regular for me. Um, always a, a big sort of like big tent, really young crowd, really up for it. Again, consistency. I think this year initially I wasn't booked, and uh, there was a bit of a sort of like online uproar, and uh, and then the, the the kind of call came in, which. Uh, Thanks, guys. Brilliant. I mean, that's because a lot of people, people power. Yeah, a lot of people write to me like, "Why don't you play this festival? Why don't you play that festival? Or can you come here and play?" It's like I wish that I did get to choose. You know, like, but never under underestimate the power of asking the festival if they can because they li- they'll listen. You know, yeah, they're, yeah. and they're the ones sitting around going, "Right, who do we want? Who do people want?" So these, you know, and this doesn't not just for me for anybody listening. If there's, you know, if there's a band that you want to play a festival that you're going at. Obviously, it's nice. You're you know, off there's some more gigs for this summer, yeah. Well, I'm always <laughs> up for a gig, man. Always yeah. up for a gig. And and um, when you get on stage at these festivals, do you look out and um, see regulars? You know, see people that you kind of yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, people from the gigs and stuff as well. Yeah, you know, and I know a lot of people that come come to my gigs regularly. Yeah. You know, and I, I you know I know them as friends as well. I mean, you're you're an amazing performer, and you know, live you're totally at home, almost you know probably not more than the records but you're you're a live performer you know one of those people that is just totally course, comfortable yeah. on stage so i'm i'm a very uncomfortable live performer and you know when i'm djing i'm like head down up until probably half an hour and then i'm like i start making eye contact but you know do, like just getting into your mind when you walk on that stage do you ever get the sort of heebie-jeebies and just go oh god this is like too much look at the sky or something or, or are you always just like no it's like i'm like like the i always just want to do the gig like as much as I love you know I love being at festivals for lots of reasons I love, love watching other bands but when it you know ultimately I'm there for my gig you know and it's like and a half hour before a lot of the times because you get like half an hour allocated sound check and it's like I don't need half an hour to sound check it's a chance I'll just go oh, let's just go you know, yeah, I just play yeah. for a bit longer. We just we can just start. I've broken all my strings. We can can't just see start them. now. Go. Yeah, <laughs> we can just start now. But yeah, I'm just you know I'm looking forward to it and uh, and you know I'm when I'm up there I'm I'm enjoying it. So yeah. But you, you do you actually sort of look out and make eye contact? Yeah, I think when you're singing, sing. yeah, definitely. I think over the course of a gig, I'll generally like uh, hone in on like a couple of people. Um, that you kind of keep on going back to. Again, it's not something that I ever put much thought into. And I, the last thing you want on stage is think, oh, where am I looking? If you know what I mean? It's yeah, better yeah. to be... To Remember the lyrics. Yeah, you will sometimes. <laughs> um, but it's better just to kind of, just sort of be free-flowing. But I definitely do, you know, like I'll hone in on some people. I think no one, it's quite weird looking at a crowd because no one, if you're looking right at someone, they don't know that you're looking right at them. Because no. it's like, oh right, okay. away, yeah. yeah, yeah, and everybody's like, everybody thinks you're looking right at them as well because you're kind of moving around. But yeah, I'll definitely hone in, and I'll see if I can, you know, I'll see if people that aren't liking it and see if they change their mood. I think one of my favourite things is when you sort of drop a line 
and uh, and you see someone with them like oh yeah like you know like tell them, oh that's a good line or whatever yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Um, you, you know, know you've got a fan in the, in yeah, the audience yeah yeah any, any mental things happen to you when you've been on stage you know things thrown at you or uh, I mean not at a festival but at a, at a gig in Cleveland a live chicken appeared on stage <laughs> right which um, is you know I mean I've got a lot of songs about chickens uh, chicken happens to be my power animal uh, and uh I was playing, it was like quite a small club, uh, but busy, and uh, I just noticed the whole crowd were just looking up, down, basically, everyone was quite high stage, and everyone was like, looking down towards my ankles, and I looked down, and there's just like, this petrified chicken, just there, just like, just shitting itself, and I was just like, I didn't really know what to do, I tried to grab it, I'm not brilliant with stuff like that, so I tried to grab it, the chicken got away, and it's got more scared, and it was with, um, on tour with Skinny Lister, and Michael, the bass player, just sort of grabbed the chicken and took it into the dressing room. But we never got to the bottom of it. I was like, look, does someone want to claim this chicken? And uh, we didn't, we orphaned it off. We couldn't take it on tour with us. So it's like, it well, we was just like, we need to do something with it. No one was taking responsibility for it. So some guy was like, I can take it and, you know, like find some, you know. Find a home. Find a home Hopefully. for it. But it wasn't, this was alive. This was in like central Cleveland, in the city. It was like, weird. Yeah. Weird. Okay. Um, so live venues like you're talking about um, opening your recyclable uh, clean bottle there no no single use plastic in, in be- on Beans' rider that's good to see um, yeah so city venues or indoor music venues versus playing on a stage at a festival I think the, my act as such you know is born from festivals and uh, that's where it started and that's what I love doing um, but a gig is a gig, you know, I love them all. And uh, once I get going, they all feel very similar, be it, you know, in a pub to two people or, you know, in a tent to 2,000. Mm. Um, I, yeah, I think they they actually support each other really well. Um, playing at festivals, you play to a lot of, lots and lots of new people. And then, and you, you kind of, and you do the kind of like full power, you know, presuming that people haven't heard you kind of set. Yeah. And then, people that you know people that like that then in turn come and buy a ticket to see you you know play in their town later in that year and then you you know you're playing to people that you know have listened to the music and are a bit more kind of are already on board and you can therefore do a different show so the two the two you know touring and festivals for me personally go hand in hand and that's why I continue to do them year in year out yeah and for for the listeners who are uh, tuned in thinking I like this guy Beans on Toast obviously a lot of you probably uh, hardcore fans already um, get his book Drunk, Drunk Folk Stories we were just saying um, off air while I was changing the uh, the mic over during a slight technical hitch that, um, <laughs> sounding much better now <laughs> yeah yeah you do um, um, the uh you're actually, yeah. I mean, you've published this yourself. Yeah. You're just saying with your now, you're you're sort of putting out your own music. It's very much a cottage industry. You said your mum and dad are sort of involved. Yeah. And big ups, Derek and Pauline. Yeah. They, Derek they and do, Pauline. They do all the. Uh, uh, they send out all the merch. So if you buy a t-shirt or a book, that comes from DNP Distribution uh, out there in Essex. There you go. So, do they like beans on toast? Uh, Eating it. I don't know. That comes a lot of gigs. They like the gigs, but yeah, I'm sure they eat it from time to time. Yeah, yeah. But it's, but so you were saying um, you're really happy kind of doing everything DIY, independent. Yeah, I mean, you know, I worked with a great label for, for many years um, and, uh, you know, I wouldn't be able to be doing what I am doing without them. Um, you know, and I work with... Big shout out to Extra Mile. Yeah, and work with Adam at This Is Now Agency, you know, who, you know, 
I, I, I'm not an island, if you know what I mean. Like, there's certainly a lot of people around, but you know, I think the future of, of there was. I think old school music industry involved a lot of middlemen, didn't it? And I think like, and certainly what I'm doing, there's not really, you know, there's not even a big enough pie to share, you know. So, and that's not yeah. me being greedy. It's just, you know, it's just sort of a, a way that means I can continue to do what I love. Okay, cool. So, um, yeah, just to end on festivals, um, you know, we've talked about. Green issues, um, litter. Talked about play, playing. You know the live experience. What? What? How do you see the future of festivals? I know that's kind of a crazy, big, open-ended question, but um, how they've evolved in the last sort of fifteen, twenty years. Yeah, I think that it's good. You know, I think the future of festivals looks looks really good. I think there'll be more and more kind of band curated festivals. I reckon, like uh, Mumford's uh, General of the Road, Frank Turner's Lost Evening, stuff like that. I think with the promoters, some you know getting a headliner is difficult so if you are a headliner then why not build a festival from there from there down and you know i think that offers something nice i think niche festivals um you know uh cheese rolling festivals yeah yeah stuff like that i mean i don't know much about cheese rolling (laughs) but um i was i think like festival I think that there's definitely a kind of like um, a, 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 the, the next wave that will come from the, the youth as well. I think there's definitely a kind of how the digital world will, will interact with, with festivals, which I'm sure to people like me and you and kind of, you know, the, the, the children of Glastow will kind of hate the idea of a digital sort of virtual reality festival. But at the same time, you know, I laughed at online di- dating when that, you know, that used to be a kind of like a, an embarrassment. Niche activity. Yeah, an embarrassment. <laughs> and now it's Tinder, you know. It's like... <laughs> Um, so I'm sure they'll, that that will happen. I also think, you know, going, speaking to a man just halfway through the uh, Yuval Noah Harari book, but really far in the future, when it's like, you know, when it's quite a, a sort of a hot topic at the moment when AI explodes and the kind of this useless classes is, is invented, so there's like, you, people don't need to work anymore and there's just this, basically it's going to kind of end in war unless they can find a way of kind of appeasing the masses. And, you know, like, I think a party could be a better answer than a war, you know, because people can find reason and meaning, you know, for a weekend at, you know, at best of all, searching for the big top or following the guy with the yellow cape to get the wristband or, you know, like they sort of like create these sort of like narratives and meanings that, you know, for a weekend that I'd certainly rather do that than get blown up by a sort of pilotless drone. There we go. Maybe watch out for the beans on toast versus Rob Bank endless utopia 365 day a year festival coming soon boom coming in 2029 <laughs> thank you so much Jay <laughs> thank you Rob. beans on toast get his book drunk folk stories out now on the play on words publishing thanks man and see you out in the field see you then This is Rob DeBank's A to Z of festivals. Subscribe now and please remember to rate. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.